Hello and welcome to Here Now, a Whitechapel Gallery podcast that delves into the stories behind the exhibitions on view at the gallery here in the heart of East London. Each episode invites a curator to be in conversation with artists, collaborators and other thinkers about the works and themes explored in the displays, giving you special access to the ideas that shape the artworks. My name is Jane Scarth, Curator of Public Programmes, introducing you to today's episode featuring artist Ayu Akinbade in conversation with Curator of Youth Programmes René Ojija and members of the Whitechapel Gallery Youth Forum, Duchamp and Sons. They speak about the exhibition A Glittering City, which includes a newly commissioned film, Fire in My Belly, developed in collaboration with and featuring members of Duchamp and Sons. Ayo will also be in conversation with Alicia Morenike Fisher, co-founder and director of Migrants Bureau, about the ideas explored in the work, such as urbanism, community, place and home. The conversations focus on the exhibition A Glittering City, which is on display in galleries 5 and 6 from the 19th of May until the 15th of August 2021. Hello, my name is Renee Uchija and I'm the curator for the youth programmes here at Whitechapel Gallery. I'm delighted to be in conversation with artist Ayo Akimbade via Zoom during the ongoing COVID-19 pandemic to discuss her new film commission, Fire in My Belly, which forms part of her upcoming exhibition, A Glittering City at Whitechapel Gallery. Ayo was born in 1994 in London, UK, and continues to live and work in the city. She creates moving image work that takes London as a site for exploration, forging conversations on urbanism, gentrification, power and resilience. Her work gives voice to the concerns of migrant diasporas living in the capital. For her upcoming exhibition at Whitechapel Gallery, Ayo presents two films. The first is a new documentary, Fire in My Belly, co-developed with the gallery's youth collective, Duchamp & Sons, exploring the themes of home, community and crisis. The second is her 2019 work, Dear Babylon, a film essay that follows three art students and their investigations on the future of social housing across the country. These works are on display in galleries five and six, our spaces dedicated to showing exhibitions created through our education programme, featuring projects developed in collaboration with artists, young people, local schools and community groups. In this project, Ayo collaborated with Duchamp and Sons, the Whitechapel Gallery's youth collective made up of 30, 15 to 24 year olds from across London. They meet regularly to explore art, curate exhibitions, music and performance events alongside artists and other creative practitioners. Their choice of name combines a reference to the artist Marcel Duchamp and to the shop Albert and Son on Whitechapel High Street. Over a six-month period in collaboration with Ayo, they explored ideas of place and belonging. They asked, how do you come to feel part of a community? Through workshops, screenings and fieldwork in the local area, they traced memories of displacement and the meaning of home, interrogating present challenges and future aspirations. First, we hear from the four members of Duchamp and Sons that feature in the film Fire in My Belly. They talk with Ayo about the themes in the work, the collaborative process, and their experience and ambition for working with film and moving image in the future. I'm Mohammed. I'm 23, and I'm a recent graduate of fine art painting. Hi, everyone. Uh, my name is Kimberly. I'm 17, and I'm currently in year 13, um, doing my A-levels. Hi everyone, my name's Willem and 
I'm 18 years old and I'm currently studying media studies. Um, hi everyone, my name is Duenika, I'm 23 and I'm a researcher in the field of uh, neuroaesthetics. Great, nice to see you guys. How did you think the ideas we talked about in the process of collaborating came out in the film? For example, Crisis, Community, London... Some of the shots, um, some of us recognise some of the places and obviously we can see that somewhere in East London, uh, South London, different aspects of London. So I think it's quite nice because in our first session, we actually had to go into groups depending on where we are, um, where we live in London and had to talk about landmarks, etc. So it's quite nice to see the different areas, different like postcodes in London actually make it to the film as well because it kind of shows, well, it reflects the process that we basically had to do ourselves um, so, yeah. I think the film really reflects exactly how we collaborated. I think there was this sort of, at first we had obviously workshops and stuff like that. So we were really talk, thinking about, you know, where we're from in London. And it was this strange thing of actually realising you've been there all your life, but you haven't really reflected on it like that. But then you get hit with the entire pandemic. So you got this idea of crisis coming into it. And the film kind of brought in both of those aspects that sort of, yeah, we talked about these kind of things, but then we bring in this idea of um, crisis, which came through, which materialized kind of randomly because of things around or situationally. And I think, yeah, it reflected the collaboration really well because we didn't really get to complete the collaboration and it left like an open question in the, the film left an open question. So it didn't really, it didn't summarize what we did. Yeah, sorry, it's funny, the open question. But don't you think films, that that's the in, intent? And I think that's, you know, testament to good um, filmmaking and good storytelling because you don't want to feed everyone everything. I think that's interesting. Just in art in general, I, I had that kind of similar response where if, if it doesn't kind of leave you with something else to go about other than what you're telling them, it starts and ends when you finish the film. It doesn't really take you anywhere. Yeah, I was going to say that, like, if it didn't tell you everything that was going on in the film, literally everything, like, for me, because when I finished watching it, I was still thinking about the film. I'm still thinking about the film now, and I feel like that's going to happen with a lot of people, that they're going to still be thinking about the core themes of the of what's going on. But because the film didn't take that route of, like, just spoon-feeding you, it, it kind of, it, it definitely makes you give an uh, effect on where you're going to keep remembering the film with the core ideas of crisis and, crisis and whatnot. I feel as though we kind of like touched on topics, but for example, when we kind of touched on like what a crisis means, I feel like in some ways we kind of flipped it. And my answer, I feel like it was kind of influenced by all of the, everything that had happened in lockdown, but just, you know, these are things that do, does happen every single day. So I guess I was thinking about it in like the broader aspect. And I think also too, just kind of like what everybody said, not just spoon feeding people and make up their own decision as to like what community means to them. Can I also add something to the whole thing about crisis? I just, I find the topic of crisis really interesting because I feel like now obviously it's very clear what kind of crisis we can talk about in terms of say the lockdown, the pandemic, etc. But say before that, okay, we were talking about gentrification and those kind of crises, or obviously there's positive things to come out of that as well, which we actually spoke about in one of our sessions when we were writing a monologue about our area. And I think for me, I kind of took a positive spin on that. But just to go deeper into crisis, I think it's nice to kind of look at the different types of crises. And one thing that did make it to the film was who exactly is going to solve these crises? Because I feel like 
being quite solution focused is definitely the way forward um, in life. But then a lot of the times we have to actually figure out who's in charge of this solution. I think one thing I did say is about working bottom up. And I think that draws it back to the community. What can we do in our circle of influence to kind of solve um, the crisis that we can or do as much as we can because obviously sometimes we can't sometimes we can so it, it was quite interesting that we I think me and Kimberly kind of addressed that a little bit in our answers so it was quite nice to see that as well your bottom up comment still makes me cringe and laugh <laughs> but it's funny it's all about power like this is something that's in our everyday crisis I think is an everyday thing it's not a flare-up it's everyday but the thing is, how can we make sure that it's a minimum level so it doesn't affect you, you know? Um, but yeah, it's, it's all to do with power and also this idea of community. Many people say they don't have a community and we live in a society that's increasingly individualistic. It's self-orientated in the sense of what can I get from you? How can you help me? And as an independent artist, that's a thing I experience all the time. So how can you rise up against that? Either you mould yourself to be fit into a community or you just get on with it. It's good to hear how you guys um, deal with it. Do you want to explore filmmaking? And how did the shoot inform your own thinking about making films? Do you want to pursue it? I think it's just, it's, it's a fun thing, especially as an artist myself. I really love being involved and being hands-on and stuff like that. Being interviewed, it really made me actually enjoy thinking about being an interviewer, being able to probe people. It actually made me really interested in that kind of role that you played as, as interviewer. That's the thing about the response. You know, this wasn't a Whitechapel commission, but people actually care. These young Londoners talking about what they want out of life. Unless there's a, you know, a twang of in the council estate or just got out of something like are people really interested so and um, what I really like is that you were interested and it wasn't being spotlighted because so and so you had, you had a genuine interest and wanted to you know explore something for me I do want to explore filmmaking I want to go into filmmaking and acting in the future so um, I guess I was just trying to find like opportunities to be able to get on set in whatever way whether that be behind the scenes or in front of the screen so uh, yeah I was just very glad that I could have this opportunity and also too just because I love like Ayo's work like I remember the first time we kind of found out that we we're going to be making a film with you and just seeing like the films that you'd made in the past Dear Babylon Street 66 um, I just I'd never watched films like that before I didn't know that films like that even existed I didn't know that you could explore all of these themes in in such a way and I think also too just like just the whole process and just looking back at it now just seeing all of the things that we did I feel like it was just really fun and I felt as though there was kind of like a space for me to just be able to talk about things no matter how silly they sounded I wasn't Top force to say something like those were those are my words that's my voice that's me speaking and yeah it was just really fun and I guess I was nervous at the start but I feel like after a while we kind of just fizzled out yeah yeah you're leading the way <laughs> you're one of the first people that you know is interviewed for me I've, I've, I make quite a lot of my own movies and um because in media studies you do get to explore quite a lot of filming and I, I also do some um some Saturday film school as well. But we don't really do the kind of film that Aya makes. So it was really cool just to 
look at that side of film and um, can I just like take take be a part of it? Because I don't think I, I I've never had that opportunity before. I mean, I've had a few opportunities to do kind of narrative films and stuff, but not that kind of side. So I was really kind of glad I got the opportunity. And also for me that because I'm mostly behind the camera. I also thought it was interesting to have myself in front of the camera. Like Kimberly, I was quite nervous because I'm not really in front of the camera, but because um, I got the opportunity, I definitely feel like I've got confidence in front of being in front of the camera. Now, I'd definitely like to do more of that, definitely just to show off who I am and kind of my, my views and whatnot. Yeah, it's good that you are all young and you know what you want to do. That's, so you have to pursue it. Here, curator of youth programmes, Renee Ojija, is in conversation with Ayo about the new film and exhibition more broadly, exploring her influences and inspirations for the project, including places, activists, writers and musicians. I'm here now with Ayo to talk about the new work, Fire in My Belly. When we watch the film, we see young people journeying through different parts of the city, from urban spaces to natural settings. There are three locations I find iconic. The first is the scene at Embankment where we see the large bronze sphinx. And then you find yourself at Highgate Cemetery looking at the towering bust of Karl Marx and the grave of Claudia Jones, who I think is an overlooked but very important activist. Then there's a scene at Brixton, which has been a vibrant hub for creativity and historically a home for the black community in London for decades. What led you to these locations and what were you trying to put across in your framing? I wanted to piece together like a roadmap of London and many landmarks. Um, that was the, my first objective. I, was gonna, I wanted to film everywhere, east, south, northwest. That was the starting point. And so I remember maybe around June, I was walking around um, BFI and I remember seeing the Sphinx. It was with a friend and she took portraits of me in front of it. That was one of the landmarks I wanted to feature. And when we shot on the day, it was very sunny and it was very beautiful. So that was great. And also during lockdown, I was going to Highgate a lot to meet a friend, just talking about things in general. And I was like, wow, this would be a great spot. Uh, it has this kind of enchanting but strange vibe and then we go to south that's where Farouk is based and that's where the mural is but I wanted to just have all nuggets of like London things that people see in it every day but they may take for granted or don't really understand its appeal. Going back to Claudia Jones and the idea of discovery I had no idea she was there but I think within the black community there's a sense that she's very important particularly as the founder of the Nottingham Carnival so it was quite interesting to see how you placed her in the film. Claudia Jones is, uh, I don't, how did I discover her? I think it was at secondary school. I don't know, we were looking at something. Maybe we were looking at her, but I think we met, someone mentioned Karl Marx and somehow I found out that Claudia Jones is buried next to him. And then I did some research. I was like, oh, wow, she found the West Indian Gazette in the 1940s. She you know, founded Nottingham Hill Carnival. She was a communist. She was forced out of New York in the 40s. And she came to London and forced herself to find this community. And it's funny, like, many years down the line, as a person who isn't originally from here in terms of my parents' origin, 
it's very hard to find community in this so-called metropolitan city of London. So it's kind of interesting knowing that she carved that out. And Notting Hill Carnival is renowned for bringing communities together. And so, yeah, Claudia Jones is really an, an, an underdog and her legacy still lives on. So let's talk about the title of the show that you've got coming up at Whitechapel Gallery, A Glittering City. Why did you choose that title? During lockdown, like many things, um, I was doing lots of reading and uh, I came across this book. It's called A Glittering City and it's by this Ibo-Nigerian writer called Cyprian Ekwenzi. The book is set in uh, Lagos, like 1940s. So this is when it was really vibrant, high life music. This is before the war. Everyone was, was kind of happy, but music and jazz was really erupting. So it follows this jazz musician who's also a womanizer, trying to like make his money, um, doing what he has to do. But somehow he falls down this uh, kind of, he's not a criminal, but, you know, there's like this nasty side of the city which he encounters and ultimately leads to his you can assume what happens to him. I read that and I'm like, wow, this is it. Because if, and essentially the film was an ode to um, Claudia Jones and Buche Mechetta, who's also, who's a Nigerian writer. And her book, Second Class Citizen, is something that I really love. And I, if I have like money or become a millionaire tomorrow, I would love to adapt that. Um, but it's interesting, you know, saying this and thinking back, like my exploration is always like the city and how people feel in it and how they like navigate it. And it's just like, yeah, it's fun and chanting. I don't know. Um, so that's the name of it. And I felt it worked well with Dear Babylon because Dear Babylon, um, these young people are also navigating the city in a way to bring awareness to this bill that's being passed and, it questions their livelihood and their community and find my belly. It's kind of the opposite in terms of approach, but I think they can be molded together as one piece. So, yeah. It's interesting that you, you mentioned music because that's the next area that I wanted to cover. So upon entering um, the first gallery of the exhibition, the visitor will be immersed in this kind of visually striking, dark, plaid, wallpapered walls um, composed of these interlocking lines of black, green, purple and yellow. Um, You created this design drawing on your interest in dub reggae music. And so can you tell me a bit more about the design and also how music then influences your work? Well, I love listening to music to the noise of my neighbours Music is something that I just enjoy. And dub and reggae is music which kind of puts me in a very good mood. It's resistance music, but it's like, it kind of makes me bulletproof in a way. Like I can, I guess Sade says like bulletproof soul. And I feel like it just makes me stump and it gives me energy. Um, And so I know that reggae and dub kind of erupted in Jamaica and unfortunately, I'm not Jamaican, um, but I remember growing up, my mum played lots of reggae, so maybe it's that influence from her. But 
Dare Babylon is like in the name, the title of that film is partly from the Babylon, uh, which was directed in, it was by Franco Rosso. And that's had a big resurgence because um, it, it's got re-released in America. So people are now paying attention, even though when it was released in London in the 80s, it was banned everywhere. When you were making the design, you talked about Mundell. So the pattern that you see is called Mondel, and Hugh Mondel is a reggae dub artist from Jamaica, and his music is so good, and I really adore him, and sadly he, he was murdered when he was really young, I think maybe 23 or 21, he was like a prodigy. I felt like, yeah, this, this is it, it's a Mondel print, and also... Mundell is a Scottish surname. And so if we look at legacy of um, slavery, most Jamaican or Caribbean people, West Indians, if you like, they have um, Scottish surnames or the origin is from there. So it's kind of interesting, kind of piecing something kind of so foreign, but really close to home, um, so, yeah, I do want to look more into that and visit Scotland um, and kind of understand that relationship. Delving into questions of urbanism, here I was joined by Alicia Morenike Fisher about her work as the co-founder of Migrants Bureau, the forces of gentrification in London and the meaning of community. I came across your work fairly recently but um, I wanted to talk about your socially engaged design practice and what led you to co-found the Migrants Bureau. At the time, I was a university student um, and I went to an event that was being done by an environmentalist architect called Yasmin Lari. Incredible human, um, incredible work. And I was sitting next to this guy and we just started talking and <laughs> we had so many interests. And um, there was also another girl as well called Jess. And we, all three of us just really came together and we wanted to create these radical systems where architecture no longer was oppressive, no longer was kind of rigid. And what we wanted to do, and a lot of the conversations that we had is how can we create a space for ourselves uh, that reflects our identities and they're complex. So we then started a competition at the time and we got another uh, girl in from Mexico and it was all digital. I was in Hull at the time, Hanny was in Manchester, my friend was in um, Oxford and we managed to pull it off. I think that allowed us to understand that actually we have the power to do so many things. We then decided we would formalise into Migrants Bureau and we really, at the time, I think myself and Hanny, because we're from my grade two experiences, um, and because we are black, we thought to ourselves, OK, let's start something. Let's start something that is not really happening that much here that we can see from young people. And then at the same time, both of us had this kind of vision of dismantling what it means to work. What does it actually mean to work sustainably? What does it mean for us to really make sure we have boundaries and healthy boundaries what does it mean for us to actually work with communities? We just try and make sure that we're working with and for communities. We still try and really be critical of who we're associating ourselves with. And then at the same time, migrant and disenfranchised communities have been so oppressed and there's so much hyper-violence. And if we're going into spaces that are hyper-violent, we really need to think about, okay, so what does this mean for people with chronic illnesses? 
What does this mean for people with mobility and sensory challenges? What does this mean for all these different complexities and not just looking at it from one kind of narrative or one type of experience, but really having a genre of, of experiences and being open to it. And I think we definitely try and challenge even what it means to be a migrant. Where does this definition come from? Who is telling this story of migration? Looking at disenfranchisement, what does it mean? And really coming back to this understanding that communities is about the plural. So you can have a black community and you can have a brown community, but really it's not, it's not really that, it's more communities. Because at the end of the day, you have so many subcultures and so many experiences. And actually, even in many communities, even in white communities, there's still a lot of violence. So it's really like challenging what it means, challenging the language, but also really being able to design and build agency with migrant and disenfranchised communities to feel like, actually, I have a say and actually I can design what I want to do, if that makes sense. So, yeah. When people say, oh, yeah, community, they usually think, you know, working class, black, brown. Um, and it's, it's this thing. It's very strange. But it's good to, to kind of know. Yeah, you explained it really well. When we start to break down uh, gentrification, um, we recognise the power it has to deconstruct and unearth violence onto migrant and growing, growing communities. In what ways do you believe we can alleviate this pain, confusion, and even the silence creatively? In terms of my inception as an artist, like I made things because I wasn't kind of given permission. So David Hammond, he was like, I give myself permission. And I think that ultimately is it. So in terms of this exploration of gentrification, I had to do it because I wasn't seeing what I was seeing, it felt as if I was a mad person. No one kind of knew what was happening at the time in Dawson. I started secondary school in 2007. So when I, I started noticing the changes in, when I was in year nine, it's like I saw Alexa Chung lining up for Mark Spencer's, like in the line. And mm. like, that is Dawson. It's a weird clash. So that was what I was seeing in my everyday and I was trying to understand it. And so that's how I started this exploration. My only hope is that with these works I make, I can alleviate this idea of, of people's stories not being shared or disparaged histories. I think silence is also kind of important as well. Um, but like, it's how you use your silence. If you're using your silence to kind of rest and... I don't know, meditate and then come back with full force. I think that's perfectly fine. But if you're just silent and just not doing anything and then expecting change, then that's just not really good. So, yeah. Agreed on so many levels. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. And even like, yeah, I, I 100% agree. And, you know, I think that's when it becomes that whole discussion about being complicit. And I think even as you're talking, it just, I don't know, it's really, personally, it's really healing for me because it's so nice to be in conversation with someone who is really going through that understanding of integrity. Like, what does it mean to be integral to your artistry, to your work, to your actual practice? And I think so many people at the moment, don't get me wrong, there's nuances in place as well and there's definitely context, but I think it's so easy to kind of like just do things because of money and do things because... I don't know, it's about trying to please people. But actually, at the end of the day, 
what is actually art, if that's all mm. that is. And I think it was so good also to kind of hear architect and friend Farouk on the film as well, because um, he kind of touched on his understanding of Brixton as well and how it's home to him. And I just thought that was such an amazing reflection. And yeah, you can only just keep fighting, if that makes sense, for these things and keep mm. fighting for, you know, spaces that you feel like you've you built and created with other people to to still exist but also exist sustainably thanks for listening to this episode of here now you can find all of our other episodes online at www.whitechapelgallery.org on the bloomberg connects app as well as itunes spotify stitcher and soundcloud don't forget to visit the exhibition a glittering city from the 19th of may until the 15th of august 2021 bye for now